Now, Asia First on CNA 938. Today is uh, the 29th of February, which happens to be Rare Diseases Day. Uh, well, it, it actually falls on the last day of February every year. So it being a leap year, the Rare Diseases Day falls uh, today. Yeah, so statistics from the US and UK, what do they reveal? Uh, it typically takes around seven years, eight doctors and two to three wrong diagnoses before a rare disease is accurately diagnosed. Wow, that's very long and very yeah, arduous indeed. Very arduous, definitely. Yeah. Pediatrics genetics specialist Tan Ishan actually spoke about the psychological and of course the financial toll that mm. cannot be, you know, um, not talked about. Of course. Uh, all of this can take Pay, uh, the toll that all of this can take on patients and their families. And he spoke about this at a recent event organised by the Rare Disorders Society Singapore. Yes, uh, in Singapore, a rare disease is defined as one that affects less than one in 2,000 individuals. Uh, so 2,000 out of the whole population already so rare, one in 2,000 even more so. Uh, but while they are considered rare globally, some 300 million people are estimated to live with a rare disease. Let's get more insights into this now with Associate Professor Angeline Lai. She's a Senior Consultant for Genetics Service at KK Women and Children's Hospital. Dr Lai, thank you so much for joining us on this Rare Disease Day. Uh, and good morning to you. Now, could you first help us understand how prevalent rare diseases are in Singapore? And, and if you can, describe to us what it can look like when someone is born with a rare birth disease. Hi, good morning everyone. Thanks for having me on, on Rare Disease Day, the rarest of days, which is 29th February. <laughs> Indeed, well said. Yeah, so as you said earlier, in Singapore we define a rare disease as one that affects uh, fewer than 1 in 2,000 um, persons. And so, although we don't have the actual figures, we estimate that there are about 2,000 to 3,000 individuals in Singapore who have uh, been diagnosed with a rare disease. Mm. And um, in terms of uh, uh, symptoms and how they may present, um, many of them would present in the early childhood, infancy and childhood period. But there are also some which may present in a later age. Mm. So in the early ages, the common symptoms would be perhaps a baby born with uh, multiple uh, structural anomalies affecting different uh, systems in the body. For example, a congenital heart disease like a hole in the heart or cleft lip and palate. So these are structural things which are visible. Mm. But there are also symptoms which uh, may not be visible at birth but may uh, show themselves later as the child grows. So things like developmental delay or muscle weakness, um, seizures might be another symptom that uh, may present. So it really depends on which organ in the body is affected mainly and the symptoms would relate to the, the main organ that's affected. Dr. Lai, it does take quite a number of years. We understand an average of seven years uh, in order for doctors to diagnose a child with a rare disease. Now, given this delay and... Uh, it could even be multiple misdiagnoses in some cases. What initiatives are being implemented in Singapore to improve diagnostic efficiency and accuracy? That's a good question. And one of the reasons for the delay in the diagnosis is uh, maybe 
uh, decreased awareness of um, the existence of rare diseases. So most of the time, I mean, some of these symptoms that I described earlier or the uh, clinical features, they are very nonspecific. They don't point directly to a particular diagnosis. And there are more common conditions which can cause a very similar uh, clinical picture. So it is uh, not unexpected that uh, doctors would first have to check for the commoner conditions. And that is one of the reasons why you know there's a delay in diagnosis of the rare disease. So one way we are... Um, trying to uh, improve this is to increase awareness of rare disease through uh, public talks, education, not just to the public, but also to primary health care doctors and, uh, so that there's increased awareness and people would consider a rare disease um, earlier in their diagnostic workup rather than leave it to a, like a, you know, at the last, last sort of diagnosis that they would think of. Mm. And mm. when you say um, raising awareness, Professor, you mean to say that um, doctors and even uh, members of the public, they are educated in how to spot the symptoms earlier? Is that what you mean as well? Uh, yes, so I think spotting the symptoms is uh, it w- would still be there, but in terms of like recognizing that a particular symptom may not just be a symptom of a more common condition, but mm. it might be a condition a symptom of a rare disease. Okay, are there potential applications uh, of technical technological advancements to expedite the diagnosis of rare diseases? We know very well that uh, the that, that AI has been rolled out in the medical sector. It was one of the first few sectors in Singapore uh, to use AI in a professional setting. Is that something that's being explored and that is uh, being explored as a further solution to Im- to the improvements of diagnostics? Um, yes, I mean, AI is exciting, but before I talk about AI, I'll just mention that the other um, reason why sometimes diagnosis is uh, delayed is because of uh, lack of accessibility to genetic mm. testing. Mm. So by um, bringing new technologies to uh, the patients in a more accessible way, uh, our hospital is trying to uh, make uh, you know, make it easier for patients to get tested. So we have a program called Bridges, which is bringing research innovations for the diagnosis of, uh, diagnosis of genetic diseases in Singapore. And that has helped to uh, offer testing to more patients. And AI is definitely an exciting, uh, poten- has exciting potential in this. You know, it can help to uh, speed up our analysis of very large amount of genomic data. That, that would be in the genetic testing uh, part of it, but also in recognition. I mean, there are now um, programs that can help to diagnose uh, or suggest diagnosis based on facial features, and that uses uh, AI technology as well. The other thing that families need to have a think about would be their finances, Dr. Lai. Costs, how much would a family expect to incur? Because there's not only testing, but beyond that, after diagnosis? Yes, so after diagnosis, then uh, there will be, we have to think of the cost of treatment, follow-up and therapy. So for the majority of rare diseases, there aren't any treatments available. But for the small percentage, where there, uh, 5%, uh, where there is an FDA-approved treatment, these treatments can be very costly. So for some conditions, it can cost up to 200 thousand dollars a year per patient Um, and these medicines 
uh, although they have been proven to be effective and to prolong the patient's lifespan, the financial cost can be a huge burden for families. Indeed, it is. Um, and, and it's something that most of us don't often think about and mm. we take for granted as well, yeah. uh, especially when you don't have a rare disease in your family. Uh, but Professor Lai, outside of the financial burden, certainly it takes an emotional, sometimes psychological, even physical, it translates to physical tolls. Uh, on family members and loved ones, the caregivers mm. uh, who have to care for rare disease patients. Uh, what kinds, could you walk us through uh, all of those and also talk to us about the support systems available to address these challenges, to address the challenges of caregivers specifically? Yes, certainly. So I think you know, the psychosocial part of uh, caregiving for an individual with a rare disease is uh, something that uh, must not be overlooked. Um, for some parents, they have gone through this diagnostic odyssey of an average of seven years, right, to come to a diagnosis. So the years of uncertainty would have taken a toll. I think when, and when they finally receive a diagnosis of a rare disease, and then they find out that, oh, they are the only one in Singapore with such a condition, and uh, and there might be just only a handful of other patients, even globally. I think one thing is that they can feel very lost and alone, as in they feel that they are going through the situation alone because they have no other, you know, family going through a similar journey uh, for them to sort of um, get some emotional support from. So what we do is in the clinic, we tell them that you know we will be their partners in their journey. And even if it's a rare condition, you know, we will help them to get as much information as possible uh, from overseas clinics or research groups or through the medical literature. We help them to connect to uh, global or international support groups or disease registries where they can get up-to-date information about their uh, condition. And in Singapore, you know, even though they may not have any other uh, patient with the same condition, but uh, we will... Uh, connect them with a, a community of other families who are going through similar journeys. Maybe not the same diagnosis, but journeys, for example, of a child who needs home care support or other children who need developmental support or special education. So there are there are other families who are going through similar journeys. So that would be some of the support systems that we introduce them to. Professor Lai, the Rare Disease Fund is a charity. It was set up about five years ago in the hopes of providing rare disease patients with long-term financial support. And this is great cost indeed. How have you seen this fund impact the lives of patients and their families with rare diseases in Singapore? Well, as you mentioned, the fund is set up to help patients who require long-term treatment. And these treatments can um, you know, dramatically change the, the course of the individual's life by improving symptoms and, you know, allowing the child to go to school normally. So I think definitely with the RDF, the families who have uh, uh, been able to be helped through RDF, they have found that it helps to reduce their financial burden of the medications and it helps them to focus their time and energy on um, helping their child in other ways, supporting the child's uh, learning and development and uh, well-being. 
Indeed. And uh, just to cap off this very important conversation on Rare Disease Day, Professor Lai, how can we, members of the public, contribute uh, not just to the RDF, but also in raising awareness about the importance of uh, rare diseases and, and supporting such patients of rare diseases? Yeah, so, um, of course, one way is to give to RDF through giving.sg. The second way is to... Um, you know, be open to people in our community who have rare disease. Um, they are among us and they need our support. So many of them, they may, uh, you know, employers may, may do their part in being having an open mind to employing uh, uh, individuals with rare disease or special needs and giving them a chance to uh, live as a, a full life as uh, the rest of us would want to live. Absolutely. If anyone uh, deserves that chance, um, it would be them as well. Uh, we need to treat everyone with equity as far as possible. Dr. Lai, thank you so much for spending time with us this Rare Disease Day here on Asia First. Uh, all the best to you and uh, to everyone at the hospital as well. Thank you very much. That's Associate Professor Angeline Lai. She's a senior consultant under the Genetics Service at KK Women's and Children's Hospital. <laughs> 